Last week I began, uh, as we looked at Jesus Christ, we uh, considered that uh, new survey that was just recently published, uh, The State of American Theology, sponsored by Ligonier Ministries and conducted by Lifeway uh, Research. And that survey is done every couple of years. I believe they started in 2014. They continued in 2016. And here it is, 2018. And it's to get a, a, a theological temperature of America. And they interviewed and surveyed 3,002 Americans with 34 questions that were focused on six key doctrinal areas. And one statement um, was this. Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Again, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. Now, these statements that were made, uh, they asked a question, do you strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree, and not sure? Now, of that statement about Jesus uh, being the first and greatest being created by God, 57% of the general public agrees. Now, they broke it down into uh, non-evangelicals, of 52% agreed, but interestingly, with evangelicals, 78% agreed with that statement. Now, here's how they defined evangelical. People who strongly agreed with the following four statements. Number one, the Bible is the highest authority for what I believe. Number two, it is very important for me personally to encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus Christ as their Savior. Number three, Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. And four, only those who trust in Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. So did you hear that? That 78% of those people agreed with that statement, either strongly agreed or somewhat agreed. And as a result, um, Christianity Today, in that article I quoted, and I'll only quote the title again, is, Christian, what do you believe? Probably a heresy about Jesus, says Survey. And in this month's Table Talk magazine, the one with Living by the Word on the cover, it's got an article toward the back, and I want to read just a short paragraph on page 63 of this month's Table Talk. This says this, In other answers, 51% of evangelicals agreed that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. And 78% agreed that Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God. There is an urgent need, Dr. Nichols said, for clearly preaching that no one can come to the Father except through Jesus Christ, John 14, 6. And the early church debunked the heresy that Jesus was created by the Father, pointing to the Bible's teaching that Jesus is truly God and truly man. And so you see, just based on this survey, this theological temperature, that there is ignorance out there. There is confusion. There is an embrace of relativism where personal opinion is greater than objective truth. Well, here we are at number six in our series, Christian, What Do You Believe? An Exposition of the Apostles' Creed. And why now? Again, it's to counter that ignorance, to 
to uh, help reduce the confusion as to what is the Christian faith. And remember, creed is Latin for credo, I believe. And while these creeds are subordinate to and underneath God's word, they nonetheless are vitally important as they help organize and summarize the teaching of Scripture. As we've been saying, I believe does not mean faith in faith, but rather faith in the faith, that faith that was once delivered for all the saints. I believe, two simple words, words though that are life-changing and life-shaping. They can and often do make the difference between life and death. Here the Apostles' Creed serves to keep the church faithful to the faith by keeping the church anchored in the harbor of God's word and to the degree that they accurately and faithfully summarize and organize the teachings of Scripture, they serve as an anchor, preventing us from drifting out to sea where the wind of every kind of doctrine and the wave of every kind of new belief can toss us here and there or they can prevent us as well from crashing up onto shore, onto the rocks. There are great benefits for continuing to use this creed in public worship. As we've been saying, this creed helps promote personal humility. We are believing things that others have believed. We're not the first ones. We're not going to be the last ones assuming Jesus does not return and there will be more generations of believers to come. They serve to both commend the faith and defend the faith to to, um, help us um, share and teach it to one another and others, but also to, to prevent attacks and to minimize damage to the faith. And finally, they serve to promote church unity. Because as we say, I believe, I believe, I believe, together, we're not only humbled personally, but we're brought together and in unity as we say those words together. Well, we're in the second part of the creed, the second person of the Trinity. Last week, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in God the Father. I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe in the Holy Spirit. The Son, as you'll notice, the, the part of the creed about the Son stands between the Father and the The Spirit, and it is by far the largest um, section of the Creed. Last week, we looked at Jesus Christ. We slowed down before just breezing through. We wanted to think about His name and His office. The declarations we saw from God about Jesus and declarations about um, Him being the Christ. And it's a big deal, as we saw last week from 1 John 2, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? And 1 John continues, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. So it is nothing small to say and affirm and confess, I believe in Jesus Christ. I hope that last week the opportunity to slow down and think about his name and slow down and think about his title, Christ, his office of prophet, priest, and king served to ground us in thanksgiving and gratitude for being able to confess, I believe. 
in Jesus Christ. Today, we continue His only Son, our Lord. We, it would be tempting to breeze through this again. His only Son, our Lord. We're going to slow down and consider that expression. And then in the next two weeks, we're going to somewhat rapidly go through the rest of the section, the person and work of Jesus Christ. We'll look at His humiliation in born, bled, and buried. And then we'll look at His exaltation in risen, reigning, and returning. But here today... His only Son, our Lord. You may remember last week I said something like, since you can't say everything, you need to say something. And so this morning, something is going to be said about this brief description of Jesus Christ as being His only Son, our Lord. To confess, to affirm that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, significantly reveals at least Three aspects of our life. Our fidelity, our worship, and our obedience. Our fidelity, our worship, and our obedience. First, to confess that I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, demonstrates our fidelity to the testimony of Scripture. To say that, to confess that, to affirm that demonstrates our fidelity to the faith testimony of Scripture. Children, what is the Old Testament? Promises made. We heard that earlier from Psalm chapter 2. The Lord said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Wow, well, what does that mean? It was an unfolding of the promise of God. And then in Psalm 110, verse 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. We see that in Jesus with the religious leaders and we see that in in the apostles preaching. They're going back to these Old Testament texts which speak of the Son and it speaks of the Lord that says to my Lord, sit at my right hand. Promises made in the New Testament. Excuse me, promises uh, made in the Old Testament are promises kept in the New. Son of God and Lord is all over the New Testament. It's a pervasive witness. We see it in the Gospels. This very familiar passage that we often look at as we approach um, Advent or during Advent John chapter 1. Here again these first four verses of John 1 followed by the 18th, 14th verse and the 18th. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life and the life was the light of men. Well, who is this Word? That John is speaking of at the outset of his gospel. He continues, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. So the New Testament witness there is there's the only Son. And in John 3, 
are those well-known verses. And let me read them again to us because they go right past us sometimes. As Rob encourages us to slow down and to think about what we're singing, we also need to slow down and think about what we are reading in Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the, you ready? The only Son of God. So you see it in the Gospel witness. Only Son. And of course, the only Son is going to be looking at the divinity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth, the man, the Son of God, Son of God, Son of Man, Jesus, both fully human and fully divine. And we hear in the preaching of the apostles in Acts, Acts chapter 2, Paul's famous Pentecost sermon ends like this, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made Him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. This Jesus of Nazareth is Christ, and the Lord God has made Him Lord. There's the witness in Acts. And we see the witness in the letters of the New Testament. Uh, Think with me about the epistles, uh, the letter to the Philippians. Chapter 2, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It's almost as if everyone in one sense will be able to, to say the Apostles' Creed. Because at this day, people will have to acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Lord. Now, I want us to all turn together to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, where you will see Son of God and Lord brought together. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7, and as I read, we're going to stop and make some comments about what we're reading. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. Okay, right off the bat, remember, I believe in Jesus Christ. Here is Paul saying that he's a servant of this Jesus of Nazareth, who's the Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, the gospel of his son, the the gospel, the good news concerning the son of God, who was descended from David, according to the flesh, son of man, as we sang, And was declared to be 
the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by His resurrection from the dead. Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ Jesus concerning His Son was descended from, was declared to be the Son of God in power. Jesus Christ our Lord. Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. There it is again. In this opening few words, it's bracketed by Christ Jesus, Jesus Christ, who is declared to be both son of David according to the flesh, but son of God as well. And then he continues in verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace, excuse me, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Paul, who went, was on the way to Damascus to to persecute the church, he meets the risen Lord Jesus Christ. I believe his first words are, Who are you, Lord? Jesus opened his eyes to see him, and he could then, after, after seeing the Old Testament Scriptures all revealed in the person and work of Jesus, he can write this letter with language about Jesus Christ and Christ Jesus being the Son of God, being the Lord. And so to confess that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, demonstrates our fidelity to the clear, unmistakable, and undeniable testimony of Scripture. My friends, there is enough in Scripture that's hard to understand, right? And thankfully, we've got this uh, doctrine, as it were, of the perspicuity of Scripture, that everything that's needed to be believed for life and salvation is clearly there and understandable. And it's just not once or twice in the Scriptures that Jesus is referred to as the Son of God or the, or the Lord. It is everywhere. It's a pervasive witness. And so when we affirm, when we confess, when we believe that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, we are believing the clear, unmistakable, undeniable testimony, not of one verse, not of a few verses, but verse after verse, chapter after chapter, book after book. But second, to confess, to affirm that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, it anchors our worship of the triune God. It anchors our worship of the triune God. Remember our New Testament reading. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. In verse 28, and there's an exclamation point afterwards. Now, not original in the autographer, the original language, but it's a translator's best guess for what's going on here. And it's worthy of an exclamation point because... Thomas says, my Lord and my God. Now, some unbelieving commentators have seen this and, and written it off. Oh, 
um, Thomas is just, you know, saying um, what sadly a lot of folks say out here today. You know, oh my God. That is not what Thomas is doing. The text makes it clear. He's in the presence of Jesus. He's looking at Jesus. He's touching Jesus. And he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus is God. He's divine. The Trinity is saying that Jesus is the second person of the Trinity and He's divine. The incarnation is is saying Jesus is human. In Hebrews chapter 1, in a section uh, kind of under the heading, the supremacy of God's Son, we read this. In verse 3, He, that is Jesus, is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 19. He is the image of the invisible God, for in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. The writer to the letter to the Hebrews is clear. Paul to the Colossians is clear. Jesus makes the invisible God known. One of the smartest, most brilliant theologians in in the Reformed world today, I believe, is Robert Lethem, who's preached from this pulpit a few years ago. And after his massive award-winning book called The Holy Trinity, he's teaching in a class of, I think, PhD students over in uh, Wales. And... and, um, He's asked the question, well, what is God like? What is God like? And you know how he responds? He's like Jesus. Jesus has made God known. He's revealed him. Jesus says in John 8, if you knew me, you would know my father as well. In John 14, whoever has seen me has seen the father. Mysterious? Yes. But over and over again, Jesus says this. In verse chapter 15, whoever hates me hates my father also. The mysterious relationship of the eternal father and son made known. Now as God, Jesus receives worship. The son receives worship. Now there are lots of ways that the divinity of Jesus is shown in the New Testament. For example, uh, attributing the Uh, Ascribing the attributes of God to Jesus is one way. Applying the names of God in the Old Testament to Jesus is another. Applying the works and activities of what the Old Testament says are only the works and activities of God. Those are ways that the divinity, the divine nature of Jesus is made known. But here's the real I think significant one because Jews knew that you don't worship anyone or anything who is not God. But John, Peter, and Paul all fall on their faces and worshiped Jesus Christ. These faithful Jews were not breaking the first commandment. Rather, they were fulfilling it as it made its fullness in Christ. And so one of the primary ways that the divinity, the deity of Jesus is made known is that He receives the worship 
that is due to God alone. A few years ago, we took about eight weeks to go through John chapter 4, the woman of Samaria at the well with Jesus. And in our series entitled Calling People to Worship, from our text, we saw that true worship is biblically grounded, God-focused, Christ-centered, and Spirit-enabled. Did you hear that? True worship is biblically grounded. It's supported by what Scripture says. It is focused on God, nothing else. It is centered on God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, and it is enabled by the Holy Spirit. You can even see that in our order of worship. God the Father, through the Son, by the Holy Spirit, calls us to worship. Here's our confession of sin and assures us of pardon. Speaks to us in His Word. Dismisses us with His blessing. At the center of the worship of the triune God is Jesus. We worship the Father through the Son. And so we've seen that to confess that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, demonstrates first our fidelity to Scripture. And second, it anchors our worship of the triune God. But third, to confess that Jesus Christ is His only Son, our Lord, promotes our obedience in all areas of our life. The earliest Christian confession. You know, I hope that we're going to be able to memorize the Apostles' Creed, right? Most of you probably already have memorized. But you know, the earliest Christian confession that we have records are was real simple. Three words. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar is Lord, but rather Jesus is Lord. And my friends, that's when Christianity... Um, and the Roman Empire started to have a major falling out. Because the Roman Empire would tolerate all kinds of religions. They tolerated Judaism. They tolerated other, of course, pagan occult religions. But when Christians started affirming, no, Caesar is not Lord, Jesus is Lord, then Christianity started receiving widespread persecution. And we know it today, right? Uh, the athlete um, competes and wins and he or she is being interviewed and they say, I'd like to thank my God for my abilities. I'd like to thank God for the victory. Okay, and then you might hear an athlete say, whether it's sincere or not, we don't know. But you've, you've heard it before. The athlete says, I'd like to give glory to God and I'd like to give glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's when people have a problem. God is one thing, Lord Jesus Christ affects people. Years ago at seminary in a chapel service, uh, David Jackman, an English pastor and theologian, Spoke a ser uh, preached a sermon, and I'll never forget it. And he, he talked about two words that you never want to utter. 
in your life. Two words together that you just don't want to ever say. And he said those two words are this. No Lord. No Lord. And I believe he took us to to Mark chapter 8. Remember where Jesus tells his disciples what's going to happen. He's going to suffer and die. And what does Peter do? We read in verse 32, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. And it's not recorded in scripture, but I bet it's something like this. No, Lord, you don't have to suffer and die. There's another way. No, Lord, you don't have to go to the cross. So let me ask us all this question. Where in your life right now are you saying? Okay, now remember, we're the people that say, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, our Lord. Where are you saying in your life right now? No, Lord. I know if I take a pretty quick look at my life, I can come up with a number of areas where I might not directly say no, Lord, but it might be the I'm ignoring you, Lord. You're calling, you're asking, you're telling. Where are you saying no, Lord? Turn with me back to Matthew's Gospel. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. If we didn't have to preach consecutively, I would probably uh, skip over this passage. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And then he goes on to give an explanation of the will of God. Verse 24, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. Whoever does the will of God. And notice... It's our Lord. You'd think it would be my Lord. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son, my Lord. Well, the confession is assuming that it is a group of people saying my Lord together. Our 
Lord. John said to Peter after the resurrection, it is the Lord. In other words, it is our Lord. So we've seen briefly that saying Jesus Christ, affirming that Jesus Christ is his only son, our Lord, demonstrates fidelity to scripture, anchors worship of the triune God and promotes obedience. He's the Lord. So what is your statement? Excuse me, what is your response to the statement, Jesus is the first and greatest being created by God? Do you strongly agree, somewhat agree, somewhat disagree, strongly disagree, not sure? My friends, the Christian, the one who affirms, confesses the words of the Apostles' Creed in that they agree with Scripture, should strongly, absolutely disagree with that statement. Because Jesus is God, not created. From the beginning, from before time, always the eternal Son. He's God, made known through Jesus in the flesh, of course. And if He is God, then He is Lord. Indeed, no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. As we read in 1 Corinthians 12. So the question that everyone will face and everyone has to answer is this. Jesus is saying, who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You are Lord. So we're wrapping up and let's say, ask this. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? Well, my friends, believing in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, leads to life. We heard earlier from John 20, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in His name. At the end of 1 John, 1 John 5, we read, and this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, what kind of life? A life of worship and obedience. An eternal and everlasting life that begins right here, right now. For as Jesus said, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. My friends, the Father is seeking people who will worship Him in spirit and truth. People who will worship Him through Jesus. And remember, it's Jesus who says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And here is some great news. We love because he first loved us. My friends, a life of worship and obedience is a life of love. Remember that. 
the next time you say these words, I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord. Amen. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have made yourself known through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have opened our eyes to see him. The Holy Spirit has given us the ability and the desire to say Jesus is Lord. Father, may this profession of faith be more and more aligned with a possession of faith in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.